All right, good morning. Welcome. If you're new with us this morning, I give you a special welcome. I hope that uh, we're all uh, here at Calvary Chapel. I hope we're falling in love with the Word of God more and more. That you actually are hungering for the Word of God. And I think, I, I can only speak for myself right now, but I know I am. And I'm just enjoying even getting in and, and studying to teach, but I'm enjoying the Word of God. And so I'd like to, before we even get into this morning's message, I'd like to look at Psalm 119. We're not going to read the whole psalm. It's the longest uh, chapter in the Bible. It took that much to speak about the Word of God. That's the theme of Psalm 119. But I want to read you just a few uh, of the verses from it this morning. Psalm 119 and verse 1. We read, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I looked into your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes Oh, do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word." powerful words. You could continue on in your own devotion time and read Psalm 119 about the importance of God's Word. It's His love letter to you and I. It's a book of instruction and direction to us. And it's something that we should be hungering for. God, I want to know You and I want to know You through Your Word. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're opening up the Word of God again and we're saying, God, would you speak to me personally in my heart from your Word? And so let's turn in our Bibles this morning to James chapter 4. We're going to look at two verses this morning, verses 11 and 12. I titled this morning's message, Do Not Speak Evil of One Another. I think this is an area that, again, if we are loving the Word of God, then we don't want to run from every exhortation that we find in the Word of God. We want to run to it. We want to say, God, would you speak to me? Would you speak into my heart concerning this area, this sin, we'll call it, of speaking evil of one another? A few weeks back, in James chapter 4, verses 1-6, to we answered the question of, what is worldliness? And some of you, and I believe some Christians, might be surprised that James defines worldliness not by a person's exterior, but by the desires for pleasure that war in our members. He says you lust, you murder, you covet, you fight, and you war. And all of those things really have their beginnings in our heart. 
Let's reread those verses. I think it's important for our context today. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Where do wars and fights come from among you? It's a question. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I shared last week from verses 7 to 10, the cure for worldliness. Look what it says. Therefore, in light of what we just read, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then he says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Do you see the problem here that we all face? The problem, and really as I shared over the last couple of studies, the real issue is pride. The real issue that we all contend with is pride. Verse 6 says that God resists the proud. And then in verse 10, we read, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. The issue is pride. The issue is pride in our marriage. It's It's the issue within the church. It's the issue within the workplace. It's the issue when it comes to just having relationships with people. Pride is at the root and the heart of the problem. James gave us six commands in four verses, which we're all called to obey. We're called to obey it. We're called to do it with urgency and decisive action on our part. We're we're called to do something with what we know, to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. But here's a a caution. I like to throw these cautions out when I teach the Word of God because quite often we say a lot of things, but we do something different. And so here's a caution. The Bible is full of commands to follow. Things that we're exhorted to do. And then we quite often look at our flesh and our will And we realize it doesn't always want to comply. Has that ever happened to you? You you read the Word of God, and there's a little bit of hesitance and resistance within you because your flesh really doesn't want to comply. I would say that our hearts and our minds are not always in agreement with God. You might say, I think I am. But what really shows that we're not always in agreement with God and what He's commanded us to do is that we don't do it. We don't follow it. Or we might think in our own pride, in our own self, you know, in our higher estimation of ourself, that doesn't seem exactly right. That doesn't seem like something that I could even do. And, I, and as a matter of fact, I think God's asking more of me 
than what I can do and what I can give. We're not always in agreement with Him. Though we would say it with our mouth, though we might say we're in agreement, our actions quite often prove differently. And so let me ask a thought-provoking question. Actually, a couple of questions. But before you answer it in your own heart and mind, don't give a quick answer to it. But let me ask you this. Is God always right and just in everything that He does? Always. That's one question. Here's another question. Are God's commands always true, right, and just in your mind? Always. True, right, and just in your own mind. I think we have to answer that. And quite often I think we do answer it with our actions. I shared last week about our will versus God's will. And those are quite often different. I shared that we all have been given a will by the very design of God. He's given you the capacity to be able to choose between good and evil, to follow Him or not to follow Him, to do what is right or to do what is evil. He's given us that capacity to do that. Even as a follower of Christ, even as a child of God, we make decisions daily by our will of what we're going to do with the things we know. Do I yield to God? Or do I yield to my flesh? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we're told in 1 John 2.16, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And we all contend with it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I shared that the pathway to victory over sin is humility and brokenness. It's turning from my will to God's will. It's submitting my will to His will. It's humbling myself in the sight of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord that I would come humbly before Him is having the right estimation of who I am and who He is, that I would come humbly before Him. I shared that it's the Word of God that judges us, not we judging His Word. You see, quite often we even try to judge the Word of God. We judge it because we don't always agree with it. We come up with our own standards that are not always the standards of the Word of God. And we need to say, God, would you help me to love every bit of your Word, to every commandment of your Word, every precept, everything that you... God, that I would love it, and Lord, that I would realize that my flesh doesn't always want to comply. I shared that worldliness is rooted in the heart. And it's from the heart and from our heart that comes anger and bitterness and jealousy and partiality, bitter envy, self-seeking, warring and fighting and speaking evil and judging one another and boasting and murmuring and complaining. Those all come from within. They come from the heart. They're seated in our hearts. Do you remember the six commands that we looked at last week if you were here? If not, I'll give them to you again. They're found in verses 7-11. to James says, and the first one, therefore submit to God. 
Number two, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number three, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Number four, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Number five, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then the last one, number six, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. All of those are a command to us in Scripture. It's not an option. These are the things that we must do as Christians. You see, if we submit to God, if we submit ourselves to His authority over our lives, if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and I believe it's then that you're going to find great joy in submitting yourself to God. I desire to do God's will but I don't always completely submit myself to His perfect will for me. You see, resisting evil, keeping your hands and your heart clean, desiring out of your love for Him to be obedient in every commandment that you find, every exhortation that you read, everything that you find in the Word of God, it comes when you humbly submit yourself before God. Come humbly before Him. And God, would you give me that desire to not want to put aside any part of Your Word. I want it all. And God, would you see if there be any wicked way in me? Would you search my heart and try me and test me? That would be the right way to approach the Word of God. I want to start before we look at our two verses this morning. I want to start by reading from the book of Philippians, if you could turn there, Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read you 13 verses. This is what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to you and I, even this morning. And I believe this that if we would humbly submit ourselves to these words that Paul writes here, it'll keep us from the sin of speaking evil against our brothers and sisters in Christ. We could just answer our text this morning by reading Philippians 2, 1-13. Let's read it together. Verse 1, Therefore, If there is any consolation in Christ, another way we might say that is, or if there is any encouragement that you've experienced in your belonging to Christ, if you're a Christian, you know the Lord, you belong to Christ, if you've experienced any of these things in your life, if you've experienced any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, if you've experienced any of these things in your walk with Christ, then verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being a one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness, here's that humility, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only after his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That's Jesus coming into this world in the likeness of man as a bondservant and making himself of no reputation. And then being found in appearance as a man, look what it says of Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and giving him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of the things in heaven and the thing, those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I know there's a lot there. I know what I just read you, that there's a, there's a whole lot to take away from that. But if you just look at what Paul is saying to these believers, if you would just take on this mind, this mind of humility, this this lowliness of mind, if you would just be in the same mind and same accord with one mind, if you would look at others in the interest of others like you would your own self, you won't struggle with the issue of speaking evil against your brothers and sisters in Christ. If we could just get this. Everything would line up. Everything would, if we could just grab hold of this. Now let's look at our text back in James 4, verse 11 and 12. James writes... Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Oh, there he's talking to Christians. He he says that all the way through this letter. He's speaking this to you and I. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, by the way, the word but in Scripture, you see that word but? Buts are important. Whenever you see a but in Scripture, slow down and take notice, okay? But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? This is actually a big issue. It was a big issue in the church in James' day. It's a big issue in the church today. It's a big issue amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just something that happens here, this judging and speaking evil of one another in the house of God. It happens at home. It happens at work. It happens when you're out around other believers. It happens through the internet. It happens when you're sending out text messages. It happens on Facebook. It happens in all these social media platforms to send out things that put a brother or sister down, that say something that's untrue. We're called to not do that. Let me read to you how the New Living Translation translates this verse or these verses. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, 
then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? That clarifies it a little bit. In these two verses, James, he doesn't deal with every aspect of judging. So let me make that point. There's lots to be said in Scripture about judging, making righteous judgments, seeing sin in a brother and sister, and judging sin. But we're not talking about every aspect this morning of judging. But we are talking about that speaking evil of one another. Or that criticizing of one another. Or just judging your brothers and sisters in Christ unjustly. You see, the sin of speaking evil or judging one another, it can happen in a lot of ways. We can find ourselves judging a person by their outward appearance. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at somebody's exterior? And right away you just had something in your mind about them. Just the way they looked. Something that you didn't like about it. We quite often find ourselves being more concerned with the exterior of a person than what's the interior. Judging a person's heart and judging a person's motives. Another area that we can fall into. As if we can actually see their heart. As if we could actually unfold their heart and see it. Or that we would judge their intents or their motives. You see, God is the only one that can see the heart. I hope you know that. You cannot see a person's heart. And so, by rights, you have no place to judge their motives. To call it out in question. To speak to somebody else about it because you don't like their motives. You know, you know, there's all sorts of ways in which Christians find themselves speaking evil of one another. Putting ourselves above others. These are all the different ways that our flesh gets in there when we gossip about a person. I mean, how much of that goes on in our lives daily? Speaking about others, gossiping about others, telling them things that will never benefit them and it'll never benefit myself. It's simply information giving. We're on that information highway these days. And it's very easy to communicate information that sometimes is devastating to a life, to a person. Putting ourselves above others. Speaking evil of one another. And in doing so, what we are doing is we're breaking the moral law of God. It's something that a Christian should not do. James says in verse 11, He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. He likens it. James here, he's he's likening this to speaking against the law of God. 
It's really, in essence, we're saying God's law is worthless. He who speaks evil of the law, in essence, is setting himself up as a judge. A judge of the law. An interpreter of the law. You putting yourself into a position above God's law. You disagreeing with the law of God. Remember the questions that I asked you to think about? We can find ourselves disagreeing with the word of God, with God's law. We might even find ourselves challenging the word of God. In our hearts, and this is the reality, in our hearts quite often it's because we're unwilling to submit to the law of God or to His will. That's the problem. I'm unwilling. Remember what James says, submit to God. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. James says, when you speak evil of a brother or sister, or you put yourself in a position as a judge to judge them, you're setting yourself up in a a sense like you're superior to the law. Rather than being judged by the law, we put ourselves in a position of judging the law of God rather than allowing it to judge us and speak to us. Remember that one question I asked, are God's commands always true? Are they always right? Are they always just? In your mind, always. It doesn't matter if it's a hard one to take in. It doesn't matter if it's an exhortation that cut deep, made me feel uncomfortable. But is His ways always right? That's the question. And I have to think that for myself and for you, if we're really honest with God and we're really honest with ourselves, we would say that I'm not always in agreement. I'm not in agreement with God. I'm not in agreement with His Word because it demands too much of me. James says our actions, our actions show it. We often try to justify ourselves in our actions, don't we? James already told us in chapter 1, verse 22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he adds on to that, deceiving yourselves. To be a doer of the word. And not just one that takes it in every week, or when we read, or when we open it up, but actually do I set out to do what I hear. Because if you don't, In a sense, we're deceiving ourselves. It's self-deception. We're playing the part. We're doing what Christians do. But it's not glorifying to God. In Luke's Gospel, if you want to turn there, chapter 10, verse 25, we read a story here of a scribe He's referred to as a certain lawyer. We read in verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, and he tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to the scribe, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus said to the scribe, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. And then look at verse 29. But he, wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You ever done that with God? (laughs) You didn't try to work around his word and try to... And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. He's given him this picture, this mind picture. And now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. And so when these three, uh, so with these three, do you think your neighbor to him who fell among the, so with these three, do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he says, he who showed mercy Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Who's our neighbor? What does God require of us as children of God? We have in this same letter of James, we have in chapter 2, verse 8, where James speaks about the royal law. He says in verse 8 of chapter 2, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. James is talking about what the Lord was showing here to this lawyer, this scribe. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus 19.18. He says, you do well if you do that. But if you show partiality, James says, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. You know what a transgressor is? When you transgress the law, when you transgress the Word of God, the commands of God, it's like you are deliberately crossing the line. That's a transgressor. The line has been drawn, and I deliberately step over the line. Has that ever happened to you? You know that it's wrong, You know that God says, don't do this, and you deliberately do it anyway. That's a transgression. That's stepping over the line. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, You have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged. And look what he calls it. By the law of liberty. 
We're not under the Mosaic law as New Testament saints. But we are under the moral law. We are under the law of liberty. Jesus fulfilled that Mosaic law in his life. Here in verse 12, so speak, that's our words. And so do, that's our actions as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. As New Testament Christians who are no longer under the law of bondage, but are under this law of liberty, this law of liberty for you and I is that we should be obedient. We should seek to do right to do the right thing, to do the moral thing, to do right. In James 2.8, again, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. We could sum it up so easy right there. The royal law, that moral law, that law of love, we might call it. It's the law that tells us that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. That's quite the commandment. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you'll just do these two things, you'll fulfill everything else. You'll do everything else that God requires of you. If I could just love God with all my heart, soul, and mind and love my neighbor as myself, that's it. I don't have to concern myself with a whole bunch of other things. If I'll just grab hold of that, those two things. It's so easy to memorize. So easy to say quite often, but not so easy to do. Listen to what Paul wrote in Galatians 5.1. He says this to Christians again. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't be hung up into the bondage of the law. We are to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. He went on and Verse 13 of that same chapter, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Aren't you happy? You've been called to liberty, Christians. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through, here it is, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, Even in this, what does it say? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says it here, also in Galatians. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's the remedy for what James is telling us not to do here in our text. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John. I want to share with you some words about love for each other. The Apostle John, he says that this supernatural love of God is something that is should be characteristic of a real Christian. 
You can't get the supernatural love of God inside of you unless you're born again. Unless you've invited Christ to come, the Holy Spirit is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. The love of God, excuse me, is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. It happened the day you gave your life to Christ. Supernatural love living and dwelling in you. Look what John says. We might say this is also the remedy for the sin of speaking evil against one another. 1 John 2.7, he says, Brethren, writing to Christians, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says that he is in the light, you might underline this, he who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Love. Love for one another. Characteristic of a true believer. Something that should really distinguish us from those who don't know Christ. That's what John gives in this letter. The earmarks of a real believer. Love is the primary evidence that you know Christ. Look at 1 John 3.10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You can be one of all, either one. Children of God or children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Do you see that? For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murder has eternal life abiding in him. And by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our life for one another." If you ever want to know how great God's love is for you, just look to the cross. Spend time thinking about what Christ accomplished on the cross to save you from your sin. And then he says, if you want to grab hold of that, you'll, under, you'll get a greater glimpse of the very love of God for you. And then he says, and you ought also to do the same for one another. Lay down your life for one another. Speaking evil against our brothers and sisters in Christ is totally opposite of laying down our life for one another. Speaking evil to your spouse. Speaking evil to anyone that really, it, it's not characteristic of a child of God. That's the point that John is making. One more in 1 John 4, 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, 
Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If you love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior into the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has been made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Do you see it as an option? John makes it very clear that the love that we extend towards one another towards our spouse, towards brothers and sisters. It's not an option. It's not an option. We must love one another. Now look at, back at our text, verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy Who are you to judge another? God's the lawgiver. And if He's the judge, then who are you and who am I to judge another? If He's the lawgiver. God is the one who gives it gives His law, and He's also the one who will judge us by it. James, he really cuts to the chase like he does all the way through this letter. He says some pretty bold things in how he says them. Who are you to judge another? That's kind of like right in your face. Who are you? To judge another. The New Living again, it reads, so what right do you have to judge your neighbor? What right do you have? God's not adding, by the way, to the Supreme Court. They're trying to do it. God's not adding to the Supreme Court. Because he's the supreme judge. He is the supreme judge. And he doesn't need anyone else. He doesn't need to recruit us. He doesn't need to put us on the bench to be a judge of others. He's capable, and he is the supreme judge, and is capable of doing it on his own. And he will do it. James is saying, are we not putting ourselves in the place of God when we judge others? Are we taking a role on that really is not our role? Have you ever noticed how much easier it is to judge others than it is to judge yourself? So much easier. Oh, I could, I could, I could find a lot of things in you 
But I have to look at myself. If I look at myself, then I probably won't see as much in you. I got my own areas that God needs to deal with. And I want to pray for you because you have areas that God wants, but it's not for me to judge you. Again, we could get into the whole other texts that talk about judging sin and doing these things. And that's, that's another study. Church discipline and doing all that. That's another study. But just remember that we're not called to be those ones that set ourselves up as a judge of other people's motives and their hearts and taking a role upon ourselves that never belonged to us. Remember that James, this letter of James, it parallels quite often the Sermon on the Mount that we read in in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, He says, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We need to be careful. Paul wrote in Romans 2.1, he says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Calling somebody or doing something, judging unrighteously of a person? Something that you saw them do, but you didn't even consider your own self. I've done the same thing. I'm doing the same thing, just in a different way. But it's the same. It's why we have to be careful when we even go to a brother or sister and attempt to judge the things that we see. James, and we'll get to this in chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, listen, behold the judges standing at the door. That should get our attention. Behold the judge, the judge, standing at the door. So what do we do with this command, and it is a command, not to speak evil of one another. What do we do? I, 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 the first thing that came to my mind is we need to go back to those six things that I had you write down. If we'll submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse our hands, lament and mourn for our sin and humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, then speaking evil of my brethren won't be an issue. This really, we could say that's, that's how we could get a victory in this area. I think if we've ever... And I know we all have. We've all fallen to this in various ways. And maybe even this morning, some of us know that there's things that we've been saying, have said, and that we need to get right in our hearts before God. We need to confess it before the Lord. You know, all the gossip, the things I've been saying to other people. 
That's what should come back at you as soon as you open your mouth and start talking about somebody else. The first thing that should come back into our hearts and minds, that's me. It, it, it doesn't help that person. And, and I've done the same thing. It, you know, it, it, it's not helping them. It's not helping me. It's just simply talking. It's called gossip. If you find yourself lacking the love that we read about in 1 John, I want to say this. It's probably because you're lacking this way in your relationship with God. The love relationship that you have with the Lord that should be an ever-growing love relationship if it's not an ever-growing love relationship between you and God this way, then I can tell you that the level of love that you are able to experience this way is going to struggle. It first and always goes this way first, and then we are able to see victory in this area this way of loving one another. We're going to continue on in this chapter next week, Lord willing. I'll say that. Lord willing, if we're here next week, we will be unless we're with the Lord. Or unless we get snowed out. Hopefully we won't get snowed out. But, Lord willing, we'll be here next week. And this will be our text. I'll give you a heads up on it right now. I won't comment on it, but I'll read it to you. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That will be next week, Lord willing. And so let's, uh, let's all stand to our feet. Let's uh, lift up our hearts before the Lord in, in a prayer this morning. Maybe the Lord has spoken into your heart that you need to get your heart set right before Him. And this is the time to do it. When God speaks, respond. When you hear the voice of the Lord, respond to Him. And so let's, uh, let's lift it up in prayer and and then this go into uh, some worship from our hearts before the Lord. Father, I thank you for the Word of God. Lord, it's, it, it's so powerful. It's so instructive. Lord, you want to change us by your Word. Change us by your Holy Spirit. God, would you help me? Would you help us, Lord, to yield, to submit to you, to fall at your feet humbly before you and allow you to work in our hearts and our lives? God, would you change us? Would you change us into your image? that humble servant that came into this world, would you, would you make us more like You? And Father, I just pray, Lord, that You would baptize us afresh in Your Holy Spirit this morning. We need, Lord, Your Spirit. We need Your power in our life to say no to sin, to be a witness for You,
Would you fill us to overflowing with your Spirit? As we empty ourselves of self, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you use us this week to be a blessing to others? To love our neighbor as ourselves? God, would you do that in us? And for your glory, Lord, that we would, Lord, just desire to be obedient, Lord, to everything that you show us in your word. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.